Welcome everybody, this is Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD Studios, and this is The Chatter. With me is Janet Wagner and Colleen Pasnick, and we're going to get started today with a uh, prayer. Shall we pray the memorari? Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, Remember all most gracious Virgin Mary, that, that never was it known, that, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've been talking a lot and not recording much, but uh, what's happened since we last talked, Colleen? Oh my goodness, there's just nothing going on in the church these days, is there? Oh my goodness. Are your heads spinning? My head is spinning. There's so much news. Yeah, everything from uh, Rome, uh, happening or not happening, German bishops who, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Germany, we'd have no schisms, would we? They do have that history, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> the uh, the land of schism. And then, uh, as we speak, the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops are, uh, what are they doing here? Are they trying to decide, is, is the Eucharist still part of uh, the Catholic faith, or what's going on? Well, they had a vote, 168 to 55, that did not, and I think there were 12 abstentions. And what they're really trying to come down to is write a document determining what should be said in addressing politicians um, in regards to where they stand on a certain platform, if they should be able to receive Jesus in the precious Eucharist. There seems to be a lot of double talk on this. As I was before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, before Mass, and uh, it, it, it struck me that the bishops are meeting to discuss the source and summit, because that's part of, that's a quote out of Vatican II. The source and summit of our faith is the Eucharist, and yet they're meeting to decide if the Eucharist is still the source and summit of our faith. Right. Do they really need to draft a document? I, I mean, remember when um, Cardinal Arinze was asked about uh, <laughs> giving communion to those who were um, yeah. prof- um, publicly promoting things contrary to the faith? And he said, do you really need a cardinal of the church to answer that? Ask a second grader. So I was, I was kind of discouraged, actually, that now there will be a draft. I bet that will come out in a couple years. It was, to me, it felt like kicking the can down the road. And honestly, I don't think the USCCB really has any binding authority. You know, they can make a recommendation or a committee can meet. But really, I believe all the authority lies with a bishop in his diocese. He can right. pretty much say it now like That's it is. Correct. Well, that ties into the, uh, the possibility. I don't know if it's been uh, put in any uh, draft form, but isn't there something scheduled in a year or two years? They're having a synod on the nature of synods? Oh, yes. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think that's coming up in 2022, possibly 2023. Yeah. So talk about dragging things out. You know, and one of the things that came up in their discussion is they didn't want to weaponize the Eucharist. Doesn't delaying a decision do that specifically? Isn't the Eucharist the most weaponized item uh, in all of history? I think it's the sixth chapter, isn't it? John's sixth. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to leave me too? Exactly. But, you know, I think maybe part of the rub on this is, in fairness to the politicians, why should we single them out? Mm -hmm. If there are Catholic doctors out there that are very open in in promoting birth control. And abortion. And abortion. I mean, shouldn't they also be in this group? I don't I don't think we should single out politicians. What about Catholic lawyers that work for Planned Parenthood? Or Catholic lawyers that vote to bring um, marriage, as we know it, between one man and one woman to be, to be between anyone. 
Right, or judges that marry, um, you know, two people of the same sex. I don't think it should just be limited to politicians because I think that gets really sticky because really any of us who are not in a state of grace should not be receiving the Eucharist. And we would never judge what someone's state is, but when they publicly promote things, then that's a different that's a different story. Well, was it Arenzi or no, Vigano, who said that a public sin or how did he refer to it? Scandal requires a a public, public apology. Public apology, public contrition. Yeah, we can't look into someone's soul. Exactly. But I think it should be spread out, not just saving this for politicians. I think we should apply to anyone in a public um, sphere, um, a public domain that does the same thing, promotes things that are contrary to the church, especially the non-negotiables of the church. Yeah. I agree. And I really think that what we're talking about is where is that leadership and where is that authority and who does it begin with? And for all of us, that should begin with our bishop in each and every diocese. Am I correct in that? Well, that might be whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bishop is the authority. For sure. The USCCB, I don't think, has any binding authority. No, they don't. No, they The bishop don't. is the, is the um, ordinary of his diocese. Right. So he can consult, but this isn't Congress legislating policy or negotiating an international treaty. Uh, you know, the, the bishop is the ordinary of his, of his diocese. Which I find interesting. So here they are, they take a vote to determine what the document is going to say regarding this topic that they have brought up this past week. So if the bishop is the primary authority in the diocese, why do they need to vote? I think it's I'm biting that, my tongue. I think it's that idea of collegiality. And I think maybe it gives them a little bit of an out if they say, well, all my brother bishops feel the same way. You know, then they're not standing that, alone yeah, so much. Yeah, that brings me to this over here. Where did it go? My, uh, my notes, my notes, my notes, my notes. Yes, here it is right here. The Nuremberg Code. Yes. That gives me an out. That was the number one response, wasn't it, as they interviewed some of the German soldiers and civilians at the end of the Nazi era? And the Nuremberg trial, for those of you who don't remember, was a trial in Nuremberg, Germany. And the number one response to the question, what were you doing? I was simply following orders. Following orders. Yep. So it's kind of a little bit disturbing because it seems like, I have to ask, where is the concern for souls? Um, that I, I thought the universal motivator of all church law evangelizing everything effort was the salvation of souls bottom line and it I, I don't hear that anywhere do you guys hear anybody talk about salvation of souls well no we have no. to think of the uh the common good we're in charge of the common good now aren't we does the salvation of souls fall under uh social justice well um I'm thinking like in canon law, all law is geared toward the salvation of souls. So the laws are all made to save souls. Mm -hmm. Right. And it goes right into the gospel because, you know, in the gospel, all four of them, the common theme is repent and believe in the gospel. So we really need to have an idea of what sin is so that we can repent and believe in the gospel but also ask ourselves, is my soul going to be saved? Mm. It's a sobering question. Well. And I don't, we don't hear this. Well, it begs the question, what, why did God create us? That's Baltimore Catechism, Catechism right over there. That's right. Which is to know him, to love, love him, him, and, and serve, serve him. And be happy with him in the next life. Um, but what I was thinking, too, was I was remembering in the gospel where Jesus says the road to destruction is broad and many there are who go that way and the road to eternal life is narrow and few there are who find it 
So strive to enter the narrow way. So Jesus himself is saying that most people will go to hell. Mm-hmm. And, and then what's our responsibility? Not that we're judging them or condemning them there, but what's our responsibility to say, hey, hey, repent, examine your life. And we say it to ourselves too, because like St. Paul said, woe to me if then I'm found unworthy in the end. And that's an act of charity. Yes. And there's charity and justice, but charity always comes first. Always. Because we might think of, um, oh, what uh, human respect, what, you know, people, I want people to like me. So what should I say? What should I do? But really this life is so short. We have really got to be concerned about where we end up on the other side of eternity. There's nothing more important. This life's a few years. Right. Eternities. I want to hit the rewind button uh, a minute here for the the comment you make about the the uh, concern of body. And where's the concern for for the soul? Mm -hmm. And I think we have forgotten that man is a composite, a an embodied spirit, body and soul. But it it seems to me, are we in the modern day Aryan Aryan heresy? Arian, uh, Arius, who, uh, the bishop who denied the divinity of Christ, that he was solely man. And it seems that I look to the left and I look to the right, and there are Arians amongst us who are concerned with preserving my body and everybody else's body, but they're not concerned about my soul, my... my um, everlasting soul huh is that is it just me or no i i agree and i know it wasn't me but someone said if people spend as much time worried about their soul as they do about their body we'd all be in better shape and i think of people you know that spend a lot of time thinking about their body they're going to the gym they're thinking about their diet they're all those physical you know temporal things um imagine if this world reversed that and instead of saying, oh, how much can you bench press? Say, oh, how many, you know, uh, days of fasting have you done this week? Or, you know, to flip that uh, instead of the focus on the body. I think one way of flipping that is how, were, how is your life ordered? Do you begin every work that you do throughout the day with the sign of the cross? Is everything that you do right down from brushing your teeth to getting into bed that evening, is everything you've done during that day ordered towards Christ? I know for me it's not. I'd like to think it is. But like working out, that's a great thing. But what's your intention? Mm -hmm. Is it to impress the opposite sex? To get a date? To, uh, you know, some, some secular goal that you have in mind? Or are you really trying to prepare your body and keep it as best as you can for Christ? And there's a difference there. There's a difference. Exactly. I mean, you know, to treat your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, St. Francis of Assisi really tortured his body. And back in the Middle Ages, they used to take the discipline, it was called, where they whipped themselves to draw blood as a way to do penance. But at the end of his life, Francis of Assisi apologized to his body Mm -hmm. for treating it so bad. So our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we should take good care of it. Um, I think because it's easier to see than our soul, it tends to get all the attention. Well, we are tuned in here with um, just constant messaging from the mainstream media, and and they are telling us all about our body. Turn any show on, and I don't have a lot of TV going on. I can see Mother Angelica, but she doesn't run any commercials. But the the short news, even the weather channel, you can't go on here. Notice the number of ads for pharmaceuticals here. Yes, isn't that amazing? the, The number one category pharmaceuticals as opposed to anything else i mean that they are the largest purchase of time on every channel and why is that because we're afraid of dying and we want to prolong our life so that we can live forever yeah and the reality is is we're not going to yeah (laughs) and the sooner we come to grips with that 
and look at what needs to change in our life and amend. And again, repent and believe in the gospel and go to Christ. That goes the back off to my, be. my point here, I believe we're with modern day Arians. We, we are solely focused on our humanity and not about our divinity. Not that we're divine, but we are called to share in Christ's divinity. And uh, because we are body and soul, angels are simply souls. Uh, we're, we're just body and soul. And I don't think anyone is saying if you have a medical condition, you shouldn't take a medicine for that. We're not saying that. I think like what you had said, Janet, about the ordering, how is it ordered? Um, you know, is it ordered so that we can serve Christ, be healthy enough to serve Christ? Or is it disordered where it takes precedence over um, our faith, our soul, our spiritual life. And we live in a society where so much of what we see, so much of what is in our media, so much of what is in our TV shows or entertainment is disordered. Amen. And it's disordered and it's disrupting not only our lives as adults, but it's being pushed upon our children. And when you were talking about pharmaceuticals, taking kind of the lead for all the space and time of advertisement. One of the things that I've noticed lately um, is all the transgenderism, all the drag queen advertisements and all the innocent cartoons for children that are being geared towards this transgender. Innocent? Innocent, did she say? Well, they're not now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just saw on Sesame Street they've introduced a... Uh... A family with two dads. Yeah. Sesame Street. And mm -hmm. Blue's Clues was mm -hmm. also a favorite with a lot of kids. That, mm -hmm. too, has gone down that path. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is very concerning. Trying to normalize what up until a decade or so ago was um, categorically understood to be a disorder. So that falls into the Arianism heresy because if you look at what the emphasis is on our bodies, we're just not accepting what God gave us. And the marginalizing of all this uh, thought, I mean, uh, the, the, the truth is no longer the truth. Up is down, black is white. Right. And, and partly, you know, what's concerning, too, is you can't even have a conversation about it. I mean, as soon as you bring it up, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm concerned that now on Sesame Street there's a, a child with two dads. You can't even bring it up or the labels and the names start flying um, and everything is instantly shut down. I don't understand why you can't even discuss it. Yeah, I, I share that with you, Colleen. And one of the things that's become a buzzword is dialogue. Dialogue. And I'm just disgusted by that word because it only seems to go one way or, there's, or the talk is only for a specific agenda. Yes. Well, and that agenda is, is uh, pure, unadulterated Saul Olinsky. You're, you're going to marginalize, uh, freeze, control the conversation, ridicule, ridicule, ridicule. And don't they also, in the Solinsky's game plan, try to like separate and then isolate the target exactly. so that they're alone? Exactly. Yeah. How dare you think that? Yeah. So much for our uh, First Amendment constitutional rights of uh, freedom of speech and freedom of thought and freedom of critical thought. Is there any of that left? I think we've been short on critical thought for years. We're coming up on the end of our first segment. This is The Chatter with... Uh, yes, this is The Chatter here. I picked up the wrong paper. <laughs> It's terrible to be scripted and then lose your script here. Janet Wegner and Colleen Pasnick, our guests here. We will be back right after these announcements from our sponsors. Tom Oglesby back in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios. Janet Wegner, Colleen Pasnick, and this is... The chatter. You were keeping track of what we were going to talk about, Janet. What was next? 
Well, I thought we had a great first segment, but I wanted to make sure that we continue with um, any other topics that might have come up in the meeting with the USCCB, the United States Catholic Bishops. Yeah. And then also something I think is really on a lot of people's minds is what is going on with all these supposed persecuted priests um, that are being called out by their bishops. Craziness. Colleen, you pulled up some of the agenda items with the uh, bishops' conference. Yeah, according to the pillar, they were listing different things that the bishops were going to talk about in their meeting last week. Um, And one, of course, was on the Eucharist. But they also voted to approve a draft pastoral framework on marriage and family life. And my understanding is they were going to try to incorporate some of that Amoris Laetitia Mm -hmm. document into it. So um, I know... Chapter 8? I believe chapter 8, yep, is is part of that. Um, They were also going to draft a national uh, pastoral framework on youth and young adults, which, you know, you got to look around the church and you don't see many youth and young adults. So something, something's missing there. Unless you go to a Latin mass. Well, that is true. Then there's a bunch of young families and... Even at 6.30 a.m. on a weekday, college students up that early for the Latin Mass. You know, here's my sense of that. It goes something like this. When the church tries to mimic society in order to be relevant to the next generation, it always comes in second place to society. I mean, you, you, you can't keep up with, I'll say Facebook, but the young people dropped that like a hot potato long time ago. And so when you try to be something other than what you really are, which is the body of Christ, not the people of God, the body of Christ, and you get away from that which you are, Nobody wants to be a part of the second best uh, Twitter or Flashgram or uh, what? What is Instagram? What, okay, yeah, whatever. You can tell I'm not on it, but the, the point is, is the church has lost relevancy because, in my estimation, she's lost her identity. Well, that would be the authentic truth, and I think that's what's most attractive to some of these young families and these young students and these young adults. Um, because what they're looking for is something that's authentic and that's real. And they're not getting it in other places that they've attended. But strangely enough, some of these aren't even cradle Catholics that attend Latin Mass. They're just showing up because they're just amazed at the truth, um, not only through Scripture, but in the liturgy and so many other aspects of the Mass. And I think there's something that, I think there's a lot that is spoken, um, but there's there's a lot of people that'll say, oh, I'll never go to Latin Mass. I, I don't want to speak Latin. I don't understand Latin, and I can't, I don't get it. I think it's not a language barrier. That, that's, an easy, that's an easy out. My sense is uh, two words, one sacrifice and two reverence. Those two add up to the third, which is mystery. Why would, we'll we'll just reverse engineer the uh, criticisms. Why would a priest turn his back on the congregation and speak in a language that is dead? Well, that is because that priest is speaking with God on behalf of those people. Mm -hmm. And what is he doing? He's He's offering offering sacrifice. The only reason for a priest to exist is to offer sacrifice because I cannot. I'm not a priest. Right. And, you know, I think you hit it on the head about the language thing. I think that really is a red herring because people say, well, I don't know what he's saying. Well, first of all, he's not talking to you. But second (laughs) of all, when you look at your missile, the Latin's on the left, the English is on the right. You know exactly what he's saying. And 80% of the vocabulary of the English language comes from the Latin. 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 By the way, go to Starbucks and try to order a medium coffee with all your favorite stuff. It ain't English. Oh, yeah. I want a frup of something or another with a frup and a skinny and a latte and a, uh, I mean, what? 
Ain't nothing I grew up with downtown. You know, they say Latin's a dead language, and thank goodness. Yeah. Right? Because if it were a language that were still being used in the verna- or as a vernacular language in, in you know conversations with people, the meanings would be changing all the time. Remember there were those songs back from the 50s that talked about, oh, being oh so gay, and it meant happy? Now if you say that, it means a different thing. So thank goodness Latin is a dead language, and it's always going to mean that same it, thing. It's a blessing, isn't it? I think Latin as a barrier for why people don't go to the mass is hypocritical because um, how many people do you know that discover new apps on their phone or their iPads and all of a sudden they pick that up? Well, isn't that a type of language? Yeah, I hear that ad for Babbel all the dang time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Tower of Babbel? <laughs> Maybe that's why they call that. <laughs> that could be. Babbel. Could be. Oh, goodness. What else was in the news? Um, well, um, we could just back up a little bit and talk about the framework for marriage and family life that, uh, they also are going to draft a pastoral framework. Um, in what context, you know, how many frameworks need to be passed on different things? We've got the catechism. We've, we've had catechisms for centuries. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really don't understand the constantly revisiting things. Um, it's, it's pretty plain in what the church teaches about marriage and family. What is that teaching? Can you remind me? Because it seems yeah, like the world... Yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. What yeah. is it here? The world is telling me that it's a lot of other things, Colleen. Yes. Well, <clears throat> marriage and family is defined as one man and one woman united in marriage together with their children. Amen. And an attack on any part of that definition is an attack on marriage. Um and isn't there an apparition that is saying something about the final um, such and such will be between the marriage final and the battle family? will be between marriage. Here's here's what it is. It's all what we're talking about. It's marriage and the family. The priesthood will be persecuted. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. The priest and the priest, Our Lady, told. Um, Sister Lucia of Fatima, that the priests who love me have a devotion to me will be persecuted. Mm-hmm. And, and they are being. And they are, as we'll talk about in our third se- segment. But, um, but yeah, there's, you know, I just don't understand. I don't know if it's an unwillingness to clearly um, preach what the truth is about marriage and family. I, I don't know if, if, if pastors maybe are afraid of offending people in their pews. Um, I don't know. What do you think it is? Well, I've heard that argument. We're afraid of offending people in the pews, and that that gets wrapped up why we will not speak to the most horrific genocide known to mankind, which is abortion. In this country, since Roe versus Wade, you know, when I was a kid, I thought Roe versus Wade was the two most popular ways to get across the Mississippi. But um bump. <laughs> but no. Now 65, 75 million people. Someone estimated here, uh, I don't know if it was uh, Taylor Marshall, in the 20th century, worldwide abortions totaled a billion. That, that could be right. Think of that for a moment. A billion. That is almost two generations... And when we look at catastrophes or when we look at things that are going on with problems in our life, we have to ask ourselves, are we on the hook for those? And the answer should be, yes, we are. Well, we certainly are if we just sit around and accept it without uh, condemnation, which you mentioned uh, in the last segment here. We shouldn't judge. We shouldn't condemn. You know, has anyone identified the difference between judging and condemnation? Isn't that prudence? Well, yes. Well, I think one of the differences is we can never judge where someone will end up in eternity. Correct. Otherwise known as condemnation. Okay. Condemn, right, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But we certainly need to judge behaviors. I mean, we do that all the time. That's why we have prisons. That's why we have... Foul balls, speeding tickets. That's how parents teach their children. So we can and should judge behavior. It is a spiritual Act work of mercy. of mercy. How can you uh, admonish the sinner, instruct the ignorant, and counsel the doubtful without a judgment? 
And how do they learn that? What kind of formation needs to take place? Well, uh, any any of the... uh, How many catechisms do we have on the shelf over here? Oh, my goodness. I don't know, half a dozen? Yeah. Yeah, Pick a catechism. Which one do you like? And not all... They're all Catholic catechisms. They just were issued at different points in time. So we have the latest catechism that has come out from John Paul II... But we've got Baltimore, we've got Trent, we've got Pius X, we got all the good ones. And even before Trent, there are a few. But the striking thing when you and I uh, revisited Trent, the catechism of Trent, uh, six months ago, we just perused it here looking at titles. It's not written to the laity. It struck me. It's written to the parish priest on how to teach his congregation, which is your question, Sparkman, how, how do we form our conscience? Well, if we don't have that with the aid of, of uh, our father, who is our parish priest, our beloved parish priest, uh, we're, we're bound to find it on a, our own and uh, likely to get it wrong and perhaps get it from cable TV. Well, let me bring up that point, just to be devil's advocate. After um, the past 15 months, when you didn't have to go to church, you know, the obligation was suspended, you you didn't even really have to watch it on TV. Um, so maybe those people aren't coming back. But my point is, how can a pastor tell his congregation, his parishioners, his family, what the teachings of the church are if they're not in the pews. And the other side is also interesting that during that time, people started checking out their YouTube feed and all of a sudden discovered many other priests out there that are going into depth on our catechisms and our scripture and the readings, and all of a sudden they discovered a truth that they weren't aware of. Yeah, very much. And if you take a look at the... uh the counters of views uh, in, in my unscientific but cursory view of that, those priests who were actually had something to say uh, instead of humming the good ship lollipop were getting significant viewers and followers. Mm-hmm. People are dying to hear they the, are. The, the truth out here. But back to your que- uh, question or answer, you know, how do we get there? Who was it, Janet, you or Colin? The pastors just can't reach out and, and get these. The laity are, are feet on the street. If neighbors, friends, and relatives haven't been to Mass since the end of the first quarter of 2020, don't we have some kind of responsibility to say, you know, we, we don't have to berate them, but I'll pick you up. We're going out to breakfast after Mass Sunday morning. I mean, isn't isn't that our responsibility at some level to, to get some butts in the seats? Well, this could be the new evangelization, just getting people to come back to Mass. Yeah. You know, and there was a comment made about our president that uh, I think the press secretary said it. That he goes to Mass, you know, he's a devoted Catholic. He goes to Mass most Sundays. And I found that to be typical of probably many listeners and many of our friends and family. But the reality is, is that's not, that's not the thing. Mm. You need to be in Mass every Sunday. Yeah. yeah, I heard that comment. I thought I was drinking a warm beer. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do much for me. <laughs> Right. But that is a good a good question is how do we get them in the seats or is it a matter of um, here's a rosary, you know, and a, and a pamphlet on how to pray it or like the St. Paul Street Evangelization does. I think they stand on mm-hmm. a street corner and they say, do you need prayer? We Team will Aquinas. pray for you. Team Aquinas on the corners and in the parks. Um, have you noticed Team Aquinas with uh, a rosary a month uh, all over? Manchester, Dyersville, not Macoke. Uh, Bellevue this Bellevue. past Saturday, nice turnout. Preston, yep. yeah. 
Yeah, we will never really understand the value of those rosaries said in public until we are on the other side. And you, Janet, you were talking about, uh, uh, I think, our lady's apparition here. You were doing a veiled comment to that, but yes. Fatima here, you know, and I had a, I had someone. I'll bet we've all had someone or some bodies say, "When are the bishops? When is the Pope going to consecrate Russia to?" Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And of course, you know, you get a, a few people saying that, well, that's already been done. And and uh, anybody that thinks that's done just hasn't read the 11 o'clock news last night. You know, that'd be a Red Sea event, the parting of the waters when that happens. So that, that hasn't happened. We've got no control over what the bishops or the Pope does. But what else did our Blessed Mother ask for in addition to the consecration of Russia. Well, she asked for the daily rosary. Daily rosary. And that is something within our power. Every one of us can pray the daily rosary. And every one of us is not doing that. Right. Every one of us is not doing that. And we have that in our control. And I think the other thing she was asking, uh, not to limit it to one thing, but wasn't it the first Saturday devotion? First Saturday devotion, yep. And Colleen, you can do that chapter and verse better than I. What What is it? It's the... Well, the first Saturday devotion, Our Lady asked that people would go to uh, Mass on first Saturdays, go to confession, um, meditate on uh, the mystery of the rosaries uh, for 15 minutes, and receive Holy Communion in a spirit of reparation for all the sins that have been committed against her Immaculate Heart. Um, I don't think that's too much to ask. No. Once a month to do that um and our lord and the church are so generous you know if you can't make it there on to confession that day within eight days i i think it's eight days i think, I think they even days. made it longer yeah, yeah uh, on either side on either side before which or is, after. ends up being 16 so if you go every two weeks you're you're covered you're covered so that is a beautiful thing that the lay people the people in the pew can do you know, we often say, well, what can we do? You know, a lot of this is just out of our control. We can't control the bishops. We can't control the USCCB. We can't control other people. But that is what we can control. Are we praying the rosary daily? You know, one of the saints said that he heard a demon during an exorcism say that every Hail Mary is like a hammer pounded on his head. Wow. You know, we That's start true. thinking, oh, it's so boring. It's just repetition. I fall asleep. It's a hammer on the head of the demons every single time. You pray five decades of 10 Hail Marys, that's 50 hammerheads on that demon. Now, if you say it real slow. (laughs) (laughs) If you say it real slow, that's a harder and heavier hammer. Yeah. Yeah. So those are things that are under control. And a lot of times people say, well, what can I do? And they almost make it sound like praying is... The, well, at least I can pray. You know what? That's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we, if we call on the angels and saints to help us with prayer, prayer is going to change change the world. The Lepanto uh, is a perfect example. You know, the guys getting on the ship with their swords in one hand and their rosary in the other, and all of Europe praying the rosary for a victory. They had a weapon in both hands. Exactly. And that's one of the things with prayer, you know, the rosary is a weapon. It's a weapon for our times. We've heard that said, you know, that's been said by many people. Um, two other things that go with prayer when a person, you know, because the other thing, and I, I really get this, when people are talking about, gosh, I pray all the time, you know, isn't there something else I can do? Well, the answer to that question is yes, there is. Fasting and almsgiving. If you fast, for a specific purpose and the church says that we should be fasting and abstaining from meat on Fridays if you're not already doing that I would say start there yeah and then Wednesday is the other day that's traditionally also another fast day but it doesn't necessarily have to be from meat under the church from the church you can do things you know maybe you're accustomed to going to coffee every day with your friends maybe maybe offer up a specific day that says I'm not going to go to coffee instead I'm going to pray or maybe you drink coffee without the cream and sugar. Exactly. That's it, a fast it's, and a penance. It doesn't have to be anything big. It's just a matter, again, when we talked about it in the first segment, about how things are ordered in our lives. Are they for Christ? And here, the other thing that goes along that with that is almsgiving. And 
this can get pretty interesting because you know with the state of affairs of the church a lot of people said they don't want to give money to the to the church for because it all seems to go to the bishops i get that and that's something that you need to discern but maybe there's a family out there that just found out that they have a disease that is going to impact them and they're going to lose their life here shortly but they have children how how can we help that person maybe in a petition for your prayer that you want to offer up for whatever it is give alms to that family it doesn't necessarily have to be alms to the church that's or, a great point or if you give alms to the church maybe earmark it earmark it specifically for hosts so that when they're consecrated at mass that your petition and your prayer goes with whatever your intention was well that's a powerful thought that's a great point or the candles or the wine that exactly they're use. yep it's yeah. a great great thought all of the altar ones I know um, in our next segment, we're going to talk about persecuted priests, and I know that there have been a couple GoFundMe-like pages that have been set up for them, because um, they'll have expenses too. So, Very much. Well, speaking of the next segment, let's take our next break. You're listening to The Chatter, Janet Wagner, Colleen Pasnick, I'm Tom Oglesby. We'll be back right after these announcements. Tom Oglesby back in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios. Colleen Pasnick and Janet Wegner are here, and we're talking all things Catholic, what's happening internationally and nationally, and, and what that means to uh, everyday Catholics here as you're listening. Of course, I can't say in the tri-states because that mobile app is taking us uh, all over Anchorage, Alaska. So, hi, Anchorage. So... Uh, the uh, topics at the Conference of Bishops uh, were uh, the Eucharist and the family, and uh, you know that led into some interesting things here in the last, oh, the month or so or, or longer, but uh, let's talk about priests. Let's talk yeah. about our beloved priests. Yeah, we kind of spoke a little bit in the last segment about prayer fasting and almsgiving and how one of the ways to give alms um, might be to help some of our persecuted priests that are um, coming more and more to the forefront. This is this is kind of incredible when you think about it. Uh, Church Militant did a story, their evening news on June 6th, that talked about uh, priests that are faithful to our tradition kind of being sidelined. And in their report, they said the Diocese of Rockford has done this to 20 priests 20 you know when i heard that i kind of thought you know what maybe there's not really a priest shortage mm. if the if rockford can do without 20 priests i thought huh maybe um good traditional priests get sidelined sent to the farm as they call it in rockford or maybe during seminary they're kicked out or maybe they're not allowed in if they're too traditional or too conservative. Um, so it kind of got me thinking about this priest shortage thing. And I remember a couple years ago, you know, there was no priest shortage in the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm -mm. They had priests doubled up in places. And if you wanted to work a tech with the high school kids, you had to wait two to three years. So at the time, I always thought, well, if Lincoln does not have a pre-shortage, why aren't other dioceses looking to them and saying, what are they doing? Because, you know, you tend to copy success. What's the secret sauce? Conservative priests, traditional priests. So dioceses didn't want to follow them. So it kind of called into question this whole um, persecuted priest syndrome that is going on right now that is, is getting more and more headline news just kind of made me think maybe this um, priest shortage is a manufactured uh, shortage. Maybe there are a lot of guys out there who feel called by the Lord, but who um, are maybe too traditional or conservative for the diocese. At the risk of talking over the heads of our listeners, what do we mean by persecuted priests, good traditional priests that are being persecuted? Because I don't think... Nine out of ten people. I don't think ninety-nine out of a hundred people just 
understood what you're talking about. You know, and I'm glad that you brought that up because we have tended, and I'm guilty too, we tend to use the words conservative and liberal when it comes to the priests or, or churches or pastors or laity, when really those are political terms. Um, for Catholic, you know, if you believe what we've believed, what our parents believed, what their parents believed all the way back in time, that's a, an attempt to conserve our tradition, um, the traditions that we've had. And so conservative priests are trying to conserve things like having a communion rail and receiving communion, kneeling and on the tongue, like they did for hundreds of years. And uh, one of the arguments is, oh, but in the early church, they received in the hand. Well, at some point they stopped that, right? And because, the reason was? And the reason was because it dirty. led to disrespect for the Eucharist. Well, and back then, it really, to receive in the hand was just such a disgrace because you were you were working with your hands and you were more earthen with your, whether you're a farmer or livery or whatever it might be, you just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, they do consecrate priests' hands. Right. right. Just flash news in here. Right. Priests' hands are consecrated. Right. So well, th this idea of the early church did it that way, I don't think really holds much water. Because at some point they stopped doing it that way. And then for hundreds of years, we received kneeling on the tongue. And, and that's just one example. But that reverence formed saints. For hundreds of years, every doctor of our church was formed with that type of uh, theology, that type of reverence, that type of understanding of the Mass. Every single one. So oh. why? how can it be bad? Yeah. Well, one of the things that's a commonality that why some of these persecuted priests are being persecuted is not only their traditional conservative demeanors values and upholding church teaching these are priests who are devotional they're promoting the rosary the divine mercy chaplet they're actually praying them along with their congregations and their parishioners they assign those in the confessional the other thing that they do from the pulpit is they talk about the tough subjects and they leave nothing to the imagination. It is black and white. And what's happening is, is you know, like in anything, 90% of your people know that in their hearts what they're talking about is correct. But there's the 10% that don't like it. And it's the 10% that are making issues. Well, and I think maybe part of it is the um, thinking that we needed to be more open to non-Catholics who were attending mass so that they didn't feel like they had walked into a strange world. Um, but the reality is, you know, mass attendance is way down compared to You really to think that's true? I think that, in the that, minds of some of them it was. That they were trying to tone down Catholicism in the event that there was an atheist, an agnostic, a... a really? I think that was the thinking of some of them. I think that thinking was 70s and 80s. It was still part of the felt poster generation where everybody's welcome. You know, we still kind of get that now. But the thing is, is like a priest that I know, he said, no, not everybody is welcome. You're welcome here if you embrace our teachings of our Catholic Church. If you're not going to do that, then you're not welcome. And I thought, Wow. I thought that was awesome, actually, because it cleaned up who's going to be in your church and who isn't and whose agenda is going to be pushed and whose isn't. And the only agenda that should be pushed is the gospel. Amen. Amen. So that kind of brings us to the topic of this third segment. Are these persecuted priests that are being persecuted, sidelined, benched, to use the sports analogy? Sent um, to the farm. Yep. Sent, sent to the, to the farm, farm is the phrase in Rockford merely because they want to focus on those things that have nurtured Catholics for generations, centuries. The rosary, the daily rosary, the holy hours, um, adoration, all of those things that lead to the salvation of souls, all those, those little tinders that uh, keep the fire burning in our souls. Um, but what I really have to ask, what's wrong with the communion rail? I really don't know what's wrong with the communion rail. You know, that was one of the things that Father Parker, you know, many people in this area remember Father Parker, um, pastor of St. Mary's in East Dubuque, 
uh, from about 2006 to about 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on fire, and a lot of people remember him fondly and credit him with bringing them back to the church, confession, all the teachings, etc. And he did it because, and part of the reason people had that attraction and why there were so many that did is because he spoke the truth and he fed them. Yeah. And I think that's important here because these, I'll call them third rail arguments, uh, a communion rail, the rosary, uh, the divine mercy chaplet, could all be saying, well, these are extracurricular or extra credit items to be be Catholic. And perhaps that's true. Um, You don't have to kneel to receive our blessed lord you don't have to say the rosary however it's it's not obligatory but isn't it interesting that when people hear the truth when they hear uh, the truth that is someone not something of jesus christ they hear jesus christ that it's being unadulterated it, it's 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 just this is it. So people are, are hearing the Lord being preached in the sacred tradition and the magisterial teachings, the Holy Scripture. After they hear Christ being preached, they want those things, like the rosary. It, it becomes an additional devotion available to them. They they feel obligated out of respect for him to kneel as they receive him. And when they receive him, what they are, um, what's happening, whether they're conscious of it or not, is their relationship is no longer a relationship with Jesus. It says, oh, I need to go to church on Sunday because I have to. Mm-hmm. No, it's not that. That is transcended, and now that relationship is becoming more intimate, more personable, they're touched in a certain way, and on some level, they might not even be conscious to the depth of how deep it really is. But the thing that's interesting is when you want a communion rail, it's because when you really realize that that's Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, body, blood, soul, and divinity, you want to fall on your face to receive him. Mm-hmm. The obligation becomes an affection. That's right. Yes. Yep. Yep. And the rosary becomes a way to show your devotion, just to spend more love. time. Yes. To linger with the Lord. So, well, been a lot of chatter today. Yes, <laughs> we're good at it. <laughs> Colleen Pasnick, Janet Wagner, I'm Tom Oglesby on FM ninety-eight point three KCRD. This is the chatter. Let's close with our prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory, Glory be to, to the, the Father and to the, the Son and, and to, to the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Are you brave enough to learn the truth? Tune in next week.